this is it. You've stocked up on potions, elixirs, revives, and every anti-ailment item that you could afford. You've traveled long and far across many locales. The struggle has been unbearable at times. You've experienced every emotion on the spectrum, from anger to sadness to pure misery. You stand here now, with your resolve steeled and your gaze forward. You have made it to your destination, but one more obstacle lies in your way. Standing before you is your final challenge. Welcome to Podchodge Episode 10. Standing by your side are your two faithful and loyal party members, the Judge and the Crow. Together, we will conquer the topic of our top five favorite bosses. Let's do this. It's time for rant or rave. Tee <laughs> Beautiful. Oh God! Welcome to the show, everyone. We're we're delighted to be here, and uh, gonna kick off this uh, rant or rave nonsense. We've got a few tonight, don't we? Yes. Or, am I am I doing two two raves for once? Actually. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Nice change yeah, of pace. Well, I don't have too much to bitch about these days. That's that's few and in between. Rare. I know. I know. Gotta gotta bask in it while we can. So my first uh my first rave is over um the sexy brutale, or as I've been calling it, brutale. Uh which I actually just finished that on Saturday, I think. Yeah, it was Saturday. And it was so like whenever you think of indie games from twenty seventeen, you always think of Cuphead and what remains of Edith Finch. Like those are like the two hard hitters of 2017. And then occasionally, you know, people also throw in like Hellblade, shit like that. Um the sexy Br- brutale though is usually up there like top 10 indie games of 2017 and I was I've been wanting to play it for a while and I was super excited to actually get to play it. Um cuz it it was kind of fun and whimsical in a lot of ways but it was a really dark game despite that um it's kind of hard to like you almost don't realize that there's a story behind the whole thing um you you play as a character named boone and you get thrown into like this like into this time loop at a masquerade party um where people like the the party's guests keep getting murdered by the staff like not just one staff person, like all the staff there are murdering all the party members. And so you got, because you're caught in this time loop, you have to use this pocket watch to go back and save party uh, and save the people at the party based on, you know, what you find out from going back in time, time and time again. And like I said, you, you get so caught up in the gameplay that you don't really realize that there's a story behind it. And then once you've gotten to the end, it's pretty fucking intense. Uh, the mystery between 
who who the main character Boone is, who the Marquise is, and why you're stuck in this uh, time loop in the first place. It was it was really fucking good. Um, I would I would strongly recommend it if you're, you know, I'm not I'm not usually one for for puzzle adventure games like they usually kind of piss me off to be honest, but this was pretty well done and I was I was stoked over finishing it. Yeah, you've been raving to me about this game for well ever since you bought it and you got it on sale and it has been on sale quite a few times since then for really cheap like I think six dollars seven dollars yeah le- less than ten dollars for sure and normally it's like nineteen dollars which isn't a bad ga- uh, not a bad deal anyway but you know I- I'm kind of of the opinion that like if it's a game that I that I really want like nineteen dollars is when I'll really consider it and nine dollars is like when I just have to jump on it so for me that was that was kind of a no-brainer um, yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely recommend it if you ever get a chance to play it. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely interested in it. As a matter of fact, it's on my wish list. Uh, I was going to get it, but I'm kind of already, you understand this problem quite well. I have an extensive backlog that I'm still trying to work through. So I know I'm going to get it eventually. I know I'm going to play it due to your high praise for it, but that may be sometime not in the immediate future. Yeah. And I've also been, uh, on the same day on on Saturday, right before I finished the Sexy Brutale, I had also um, finished Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, which I've been obviously hyping up for a while, like ever since we did our top 10 favorite anime list. Um, honestly, if if we do another top 10 favorite anime list, like, like, you know, in a year to see how our tastes have changed, this probably goes up higher on the list because it was such a fucking well done series all the characters in it were so well done. Like there wasn't, I've seen a few Gundam series and there's like typically like one character that you just know is going to like completely wreck shit. And it's not that there was, that there weren't characters like that in Iron Blooded Orphans, but there wasn't any character that was like completely like immortal. That was completely invincible that like, you just had a feeling couldn't possibly lose. Um, they were all very mortal and it was, uh, I don't know, like some some people some people hate endings that aren't like quote unquote happy endings, but I fucking love the ending to this and the entire series in general was so well done. Yeah, you've definitely been hyping this Gundam series up quite a bit too, which is interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first Gundam series that you've really gotten into, right? Yeah, you're not you're not really wrong about that. I mean, I've seen. I'd seen one of the older Gundams. I don't remember what the what the name of it was, and I've also uh, I'd also like completed Gundam Unicorn, which, I mean, it, it was okay. It wasn't great, but it was it was okay, I guess. And I've I've heard a kind of criticism of the Gundam series is that like it's it's more oh it's an anime made to sell you know mech toys and figurines and stuff, and I could see that for like a lot of these for a lot of the series, but iron blooded orphans was so much more intense than that. Like it was to me, it was more about the politics and the human aspect of things. than it was the mech fights. I hear that said about Gundam quite a bit, how it explores the relationships between its characters. And that sounds right up my alley. I mean, I typically really enjoy anime games, any sort of pop culture that really focuses on that aspect of, on the humanity and mortality of characters. I'm definitely going to take you up on that as well. Um, 
hopefully I'm planning on watching that soon, believe it or not. Ever since you've been talking about how amazing it is, I kind of propped that up a little bit on my list. I would jump into it ASAP. I mean, there's two uh there's two seasons. Like that's that's the entirety of this of the series. There's two seasons and like the first one is intense. I'm not saying anything against the first one, but the second one is so fucking amazing because it set up so many characters as important, as significant, and, and like, you know, you feel like if they've made it through the first season, then they they're in the clear for the second ser- for the second season. Nah, nobody's safe, and it's that's one of the things I love about it. It's kind of kind of like people that are addicted to Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead, like wondering who's going to die next is part of the fun, even if you hate yourself for it. (laughs) Oh man, now that you've made that comparison, that makes it sound even better. I'll definitely jump on that just for you. I think it's, I think it's an app comparison. Cause like, I think especially toward the end, like the last like 10 or 15 episodes, even every single week I was like, ah, they just killed off another major character. (laughs) Uh, See that kind of, makes me a little disinclined but at the same time if they've got good reasons for doing it oh they do that's totally different like every single death you're you're gonna get shook from each death even like regardless of which side it's on regardless of if it's on Tekadens or galahorn's side you're gonna you're gonna be fucked up from from pretty much every death oh boy i love getting shook so boy oh boy Oh boy, oh boy. I love how that's becoming a <laughs> meme, don't you? Don't you just love that? I sure do. That's a pretty good... Those were two really great raves. That's awesome. Nice change of pace. GG. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, people are going to get the impression that I'm actually the pessimist of the two of us, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I don't I don't think they're getting that impression at all. I'm I'm clearly the asshole of the, of the two of us. <laughs> well... <laughs> not even gonna make a comment about that um but you're a lovable asshole ew every no i'm not even gonna go <laughs> <laughs> um okay i have a i have a rant and what yeah i know and it shocker it's about dead by daylight i typically the way this works is Either things go really, really well for me in that game, or they just go terribly for me in that game. There's no in-between. So, this week's rant for Dead by Daylight from yours truly relates to a leather face. And not just any leather face, an insidious leather face that was a basement camper. As a matter of fact, here in the outline, I put, quote-unquote, basement bitch. Because what this guy did... Not only did he tunnel me super hard, this was on the treatment facility map or the, uh, it was the map that came out with the doctor. So it was like the psych ward or whatever it was. Indoor map. Really annoying. Um, this dude got me down. How many times did he get me down? It was like four or five, wasn't it? Yeah, it was something like that. And the worst part about it though, is that we knew he had insidious because like from the get go, one person got, got downed, hung in the basement and he, the, this teammate of ours had empathy so we could see the fucking Leatherface standing right in front of him the entire time he was on that hook. And while he was there, we got, I think we got like fucking four gins finished in, in the time that he was strung up and that the guy was camping him. Like the guy didn't move at all, like even when we finished these generators. So we knew from the get go that he had Insidious because Judge tried to, I think Judge like 
kind of moved that way to go save him, realized he couldn't hear anything, and he was like, oh, that's why he's standing there, because he's got fucking Insidious, and we can't, and we and he thinks yeah. that we can't see that or hear that, so he's going to get us like that. It was so bad that, and I, I should have realized this sooner, but you're correct. We did get four gens done, and I was on a gen in the library that was right above the basement on this map, right above it, and I was doing this gen, we were just working on this gen right above them, and it didn't occur to me that I hadn't heard, I wasn't hearing a heartbeat during any of this. So as soon as we finished the gen, dude that had empathy was still on the hook. So we could still see the killer standing right below us. As soon as we finished the gen, it showed his head just like jet up and look at us, but he didn't move. He just looked and he looked back at the guy on the hook and just started shaking his head up and down. So we knew I was like, I, I think I even made a comment to you. I said, if I go down it's going to suck if one of us goes down because he's just going to do this to all of us. And lo and behold, it's like that was the bait that was necessary because this dude tunneled me so hard. He got me down. I was so far away from the basement that he couldn't get me there, even with iron grasp, which makes it so that you struggle slower. Um, so I was able to get off three times at least before I got hooked. Finally, he hooked me. And once he hooked me, I thought, oh, God, this is this is over. Like, there's nothing that can be done for me now. Someone did run down there to get me off the hook, got me off the hook. I sprint bursted out of there, thought, thank God, this is good. This dude completely like, so I don't even know how he did this. He was able to get out of the basement, turn around a corner and predict where I was going to vault whenever I had um, quick and quiet on, which is a perk that like, makes it so that you don't make any noise whenever you vault over something. He was able to perfectly read where I was going, rounded around the corner, hit me with his mallet, carried me right back down there, hooked me again. All right, so I'm a little heated right now. I'm just chilling on this hook, struggling. Crow's like, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to come over there. I'm going I'm to help save you because clearly this is going to require some coordination. So came down there. Did I get off? I think I got uh, off. No. So what happened was... The uh, the other guy that was still on our team. So while you were hooked, I was able to open a gate. I could have been, I could have been myself. I could have been an asshole and gotten out alive. But no, I chose to be a hero and come back for you. And what fucking happened was, this other guy ran down there, got hit, and as soon as he got hit, I took that as my cue to run down there and save you because Leatherface was distracted with him. I wasn't paying attention to your icon, and you didn't tell me shit, so I didn't know you had already died. I didn't know you had already gotten sacrificed. So as soon as I ran down there, I was stuck in the basement with Leatherface, and he wasn't guarding anybody. Now he was just chasing me. So, yeah, I got downed and killed in the basement, too, when I could have fucking escaped. Thank you, though. Kind of kind of hijacked your rant there, didn't I? You did. It turned into a mutual rant. It wasn't yeah. intentional. That wasn't intentional, but... It was infuriating. Very few times do I get salty over that game, like legitimately salty. But I was actually really, really peeved over that. That was bad. Face, face camping is the worst fucking thing a killer can do in my book. Like, I will, as a killer, even if like I know that they can that they can like escape, I will still leave them just so that they have a fighting chance, unless they are asshole survivors. Like if they if they if they pull a pallet down and then teabag me from behind it, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to face camp you to death because you're being a toxic player and I don't give a shit. But uh, it, it, as far as just like regular survivors go, 
I will still I will give like all of them a fighting chance as long as they haven't just been complete douches about it. I agree with you. Face camping is terrible. And I feel scummy even doing it. I tried doing it just to be a troll once and I was just like I can't I can't do this. Like it's just not it's not me. Like I said, for for asshole survivors, for the ones that drop pallets and flashlight you and shit like that, I will I will sink to their level in a heartbeat just to just to derive a little bit like like I, I was playing a game the other day and like fucking four survivors were like running up on me while I was trying to defend this generator that they were trying to complete. All four of them, like one of them would like start the gen, then run away. The other would flashlight me and run away. And so by the end of it, I was like, man, I don't even give a shit that you guys are going to get out. I'm going to take one of you down and face camp you. And that's it. And I was able to. And it was it was very satisfying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in that case, it is satisfying. But other than that, face camping, terrible, terrible people do that. But we can move on from this section because I'm getting a little mad thinking about it again. Um, <laughs> we'll quickly take a minute to segue into our week in review now. And it's actually been a pretty eventful week. Um, the Overwatch Uprising event is ending. Actually, by now it's ended. Um, but really the big thing that I thought was notable was that we got some information about the new Symmetra rework. Did you hear anything about all this? Um, all I've heard is that they're trying to make her into like a literal, well, I guess, so she, she's technically classified as a support character. Everybody's always said she should be a defense character. Like nobody's ever really understood why she's considered support. I guess maybe for the, maybe for the teleporter and the, uh, and the shield generator. But so no, I I don't know the specifics behind it, but I just know that they're supposed to be like reclassifying her. Yes. That is the big point, one of the big parts of it. So she is actually getting moved from support to defense. So that's one of the big, or first big changes. But her entire kit is getting reworked to, I mean, it's making some pretty significant changes to her kit. So her teleporter isn't going to be an ultimate now. It's going to be a standard ability. And it makes it so that you can put the teleporter down up to 25 meters away from you. And then when you place the exit, the entrance automatically gets built right in front of you instead of at your spawn. It only lasts a short amount of time, but your allies can go into it and out of it. Another thing I thought was interesting about this is they're experimenting on letting people like put Torbjorn turrets and Diva's exploding mech. They're letting those things go through the teleporters. <laughs> so that's going to be like super crazy. Some of the plays that you could pull off with that are going to be ridiculous. So, so you might have a you might have a teleporter that's just like shooting bullets at you, and you're like not even sure why the hell that is. Well, no, no, no. They're saying like, um, like they can put a turret through the teleporter and make it so that it pops up, like it can be built immediately on the other side of the teleporter. They're making it so that like a diva can shoot, she can eject out of her mech for her alt and like make her mech fly into the teleporter and go out of the teleporter and just explode on the other side. They're also making it so that Junkrat's rip tire can go through it. You know, all of these exploding, uh, like moving ultimates, they're making it so that they can actually like go through. So that could be interesting. That uh, to me, that sounds like there'd be a lot of really great potential for more coordinated plays. Like we, I mean, overwatch is 
nothing if not a, a, a team-based game. Like it, it, it's a lot easier, a lot more satisfying to coordinate plays with your team than it is to try to, you know, be a good player and get shit by yourself because that's just not how the game is supposed to work. So I, I could see the potential for that like skyrocketing if if they actually go through with those changes. Yeah. It's it's going to be a game changer, and that's not even the only change that they're making to her. I mean, they also they changed it so that her main primary fire um, increases in range incrementally. Uh, like every two seconds, it gets longer in range and it builds up in damage, but it doesn't lock on to an enemy anymore. It's just a straight beam. Um, so that's one of the other changes that they're making, and probably the other biggest change they're making with her is that. You know how she, they added her photon barrier, like her deployable shield that moves out and forward in front of her. That was done in her first rework, but they're changing it again. They're making that her ultimate. And now instead of it being a moving barrier, it's just going to be a static barrier. It just stays in place. It's going to be like, it's pretty much infinite in size and it has 5,000 health. It's kind of like Maze Ice Wall. You can place it at some range and then you can just change the orientation of it. It'll be fine. Um, so yeah, really interesting changes with her. I'm really not sure how, I mean, obviously this is all going to be put onto the PTR and it's subject to change, but this is what Jeff Goodman talked about on the forums, essentially. All right. That's some, that's some good shit. Or I guess we'll see if it's some good shit, but moving on, uh, were you able to catch a dead by daylight stream last week? I wasn't. So, they were kind of talking about some of the uh, some of the stuff that they're testing out in the I guess PTR, um, and they they've mentioned this stuff in the past, but it sounds like they're getting closer to I guess kind of verifying or validating it as like an actual change that they're going to make. Um, they've talked about well in the past they talked about the possibility of giving the killer the ability to close a hatch, like uh, to close a hatch after it's opened, and uh, <laughs> we we have mi- mixed feelings about that, but. I mean, it's not that they would, like, permanently close the hatch, but if a survivor has to reopen the hatch, that would give the killer more time to, you know, down them or pull them off or, you know, it it would also definitely change the strategy up. And I'm not sure if... I honestly don't know if I like it or hate it if it actually goes through, but I could see it being either either way, to be honest. That's dirty. <laughs> being able to close the hatch. That's just dirty. And I mean, that's <laughs> not like... I, I, I can see a case for it. It's just... I'm just picturing all the scenarios in which you think, oh, yeah, the hatch. I, and I wonder if they close the hatch, is it going to, like, take away the sound cue, too? I mean, it makes sense that it would. So that would make it even harder for the survivor to find the hatch. Oh, I don't know. There's lots of different ways that this could be done. I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about it, to be honest. And, you know, obviously, if uh, if it's, like, one survivor and one killer with a closed hatch and say there's only, like, two gens done or something like that you know a survivor's best bet is normally to go for the hatch but in this case like they they really don't have any other options so the killer would just be camping the hatch the whole time and it that that, that kind of game would be dragged out like extremely tediously just because the the, the survivor would either have to go for the hatch even when it's like impossible because the killer's camping it or they would have to go and work on like fucking three other gens to open the gates i mean i know that they're gonna have some sort of tweaking to do with that. Um, they could probably balance it to make it so that it could work as a mechanic pretty well, but it's going to be 
a rocky road to get there, I think, because whatever that first implementation of that mechanic would be, if they decide to include it, you know people are going to complain about it, just like the emblem system. People are throwing a fit over the emblem system still. Um, not as bad as whenever they tested it before they introduced it, you know, into the game, but people still don't like it just because it's different, and that's always going to happen. Yeah, that's true. They also, in the stream, announced that they're uh, trying to work on, on reworking how the palette drops, which is a pretty big part of our strategy these days as survivors, because we... Uh, we, we like, I don't know, it's satisfying to drop a pallet on a killer. It's satisfying to loop around the pallet on a killer. Um, and the way it works right now is like a lot of times people complain because they'll drop a pallet and clearly they're supposed to be on the other side of that pallet, but they get stuck on the same side as the killer. And, you know, that screws them over. Like they'll either, they'll either, you know, get hit by the killer or get downed by the killer because of ending up on the wrong side. I don't know. In my experience, it's never worked out in my favor that they, that I've ended up on the wrong side, and I'm just like, oh, hey, and you know. Just, so I think that that's going to be great because they're they're trying to rework it so that like when you run through, um, you don't drop it until you're like safely on the other side of it. But at the same time, it's I don't know. It, it's supposed to be more natural feeling. I, I think that'll be that'll be effective. Like I'm I'm sketchy on the hatch closing, but I'm very excited about the palette being reworked. Oh, yeah, definitely excited about the palette being tweaked because I've had several, well, I think both of us have had several moments where we've been infuriated over the hat or uh, dropping a palette and just being on the wrong side of it. It's infuriating. And it's when you play a game, like, you, you know what it's supposed to feel like. You know that, like, oh, I'm supposed to be on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes the killer, like, catches me before I can get to that point and I will give them props for that. I'll be like, yeah, they, they got the best of me. I couldn't, I couldn't get away fast enough. But other times the killer, the killer would be like right on my ass and I'll be, I'll be like, all right, here's a pallet. And that should have been my escape route. And instead it ends up trapping me. And I'm just like, well, fuck me. That it wasn't supposed to go that way. That is the correct reaction. That is what we all say. Any other interesting things revealed in that stream? Uh, not, not really, to be honest. I'm, uh, th those were, those were my main takeaways from it, but, you know, obviously new week, new stream. Looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that this is Podge Hodge and Podge Hodge covers all things that are popular and what's popular right now. Very few things are more popular than Fortnite and <laughs> yeah, neither of us are very big into Fortnite. Um, I suck at it. So that's partially why I'm bad, or I don't, not that big into it. But they, uh, it's a big, big deal right now because we've shifted into a new battle pass, pretty big update. So I'm just gonna quickly run through the changes that they announced on this. They they took the crossbow out, which is great because it was garbage. That's all I have to say about that one. <laughs> um, so there's a meteor apparently in this game, and people have been talking about it a lot. Like you've been a People have been able to see a meteor like coming down in the sky or whatever. And this update actually made it so that the meteor crashed down. It fell on Dusty Depot, which is a popular area that people typically just like gangbang for to get all the weapons. So there's actually a crater there now. And they put these anti-gravity mechanics into the game, which sounds absolutely funky, weird. Everyone's going to be landing at where Dusty Depot was to try to mess with these anti-gravity rocks is what they are. I'm not even sure how it's going to work, but... uh. 
people seem to be pretty excited about it. Of course, there are a whole lot of new cosmetic items, new skins. People are going to be trying to grind for those. Um, and neither of us care about them. So <laughs> there's that. Since we're since we're all things pop culture, should also probably throw out there that um, Infinity Wars just came out and everybody is losing their fucking minds over it. Um, which I noticed the trend seems to be that superhero movie comes out and everybody loses their shit. And it's, uh, you know, I, I don't want to sound jaded, but I'm kind of getting annoyed with it just because just cause I look at all these people and I'm just like, oh, you fucking posers. <laughs> I mean, I'm not... I'm not going to pretend that I read the comic books either, but, you know, it's like I don't pretend to be an expert. I don't pretend to know and care, like, this deeply. I'm kind of getting annoyed with it, too, mainly because this is this is like a Keystone movie. I know that, like you said, everyone freaks out over superhero movies, but this one people have been waiting for for a long time. And it makes me mad because I'm not even caught up on the movies that led up to this. I'm not aware of what's going on in the Marvel cinematic universe. So I can't even go watch it if I want to and be able to have a complete picture of what's going on. You know what happens? I go to work and everyone's trying to spoil it for me. Like right as soon as I walk in, all the students are like, Hey, Hey, did you see infinity war? Uh, so-and-so does that. And I'm just like, you need to shut up. It's become like a, a popular, like it's a meme I've been seeing posted on Facebook all over the time or all the time about like, spoiling infinity war um so it's getting annoying i agree with you on that i'm glad you included that yeah also uh also in the way of our media preferences we've got um attack on titan season three has just been announced it's supposed to come out this july so like in just a few months from now it's supposed to come out for uh japan i think not sure when we're gonna see a dub on that but Obviously, you and I don't really care about the dub. I mean, I mean, we like the dub, but we don't care about it like as much as just getting it animated in the first place. Um, and it's, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, it should be at least up to or even past where you got in the manga, like where season three is going to end at. Unless they're really dragging this shit out, it should end uh, shortly after you stopped reading the manga. It's pretty, uh, they're releasing it pretty quick. I remember we had to wait a long time to get season two. Yeah, I agree with you on that. We we started watching the first season back in, what was it, like 2012 or 13? Whenever it came out. Yeah, and, it, and season two didn't come out until like 2017? It took a long time. I don't remember how it long, it was years. years. Yeah. So, yeah, it, um... I'm I'm pretty excited that it's only taking like like a year for this third season to come out cuz especially considering how the animation's so high quality like it didn't it didn't make either of our top 10, you know, favorite anime lists, but it, I think it, I think a lot of people that are like more new to anime, it makes their list just because they're so blown away by how well done the graphics are. Yeah, and uh we were super hyped over it whenever it came out. The animation was so great on it just like you said. Um, it kind of killed the hype a little bit to have to wait so long to see season two, but in another way, it made everyone, you know, really yearn for it. So I'm glad that it came out. I'm glad that they're uh, releasing it faster now. And I I would be willing to bet that a dub will quickly follow suit because they, I mean, this is pretty popular here in the States too. 
Oh, definitely. And honestly, like a lot of people have been kind of, you know, a lot of people have been like looking at the uh, trailers for like people that haven't read the manga have looked at the trailers for the anime and they're like, oh, well, if they're getting into the issues of government, it's already over. Like it's Attack on Titans hit its peak. It's it's it might as well be over because it's going to go downhill from here. And like everybody that's read the manga is just like, oh, you have no fucking idea. You you need to keep watching. You have no idea what you're in for. Like and judge, I strongly I've been telling you this forever to get caught up on the manga. It is at such an amazing part right now. And like it took a while to get to this point, but the payoff is so worth it. I promise you. I'm like I'm begging you right now on the air in front of like all three of our listeners. <laughs> I am begging you to fucking finish the manga, like to get caught up on the manga. Well, I can't let down all three of our listeners, so I'll do it for them. I won't do it for you. I'll do it for them, though. <laughs> go go pester them on Twitter. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, well, interesting stuff. I'm looking forward to that uh, third season. These last two points on the weekend review, I'm, they're, not, they're not too big. I mean, one of them is. One of them is a big deal, but first one is they announced that the Atari VCA console... Uh, pre-orders are going to start May 30th, but they're not going to be shipped until 2019. So, um, kind of sounds a little suspicious. They announced that it's going to, you know, stream or it's going to play games 4K, 60 frames per second. But they haven't really talked about what kind of content it's going to deliver. They said it's going to have the Atari Vault on it, so you're going to be able to play all of those beautiful, high-quality, graphical Atari games from, like, all the back in the 70s. Like, you'll be able to play Centipede and all of those games, like, in 4K, which is just, <laughs> you know, that's worth the purchase alone because those were just such graphically intense games. Spoiler alert, the Centipede is really going to look like the human Centipede in 4K. Oh, God. <laughs> I really wish you wouldn't have put that in my head. You're welcome. Thanks. I don't know if I can finish this now. Yeah, I can. Try. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm skeptical about this. I want to be optimistic about it, but it's just there's not enough information. They're not giving us much to go off of. And something else that I noticed too, they're gonna have like a wood grain edition that harkens back to the you know wood grain Atari twenty six hundred, and they're also gonna have a two hundred dollar Onyx black edition. But there's something very interesting about this they didn't mention it including a controller uh -huh. so it's like you can also get a bundle with a controller i'm thinking oh so you're gonna be possibly spending 200 dollars on a special edition console without a controller <laughs> skeptical on that we will keep you in the know on what happens with that the other thing is that the nintendo president that has been probably president for what I think the past well ever since Satoru Iwata passed away it's been the president he stepped down voluntarily he stepped down he's going to remain an advisor for the company but he's been replaced I had a name but I don't want to butcher it so he's just no Nintendo president's being replaced it's going to be a little weird to see what direction they take it I know that they're going to keep banking on the switch because that thing is going that thing's selling like hotcakes and everyone loves it, but it'll be interesting to see what their marketing strategy is and how they change with this new direction. 
I don't think it'll be a bad thing. I mean, you, you, you can't you can't trash on somebody that's been there for as long as he has to, and you know, pave the way for the things that he has. But Nintendo is still gonna be Nintendo. Like PlayStation and Xbox, they can appeal to more mature audiences, but Nintendo's primarily based toward like the younger demographic and. You know, even though they have something for everyone, that's still going to pro- probably be their general image, if that makes sense. So I, I don't think, I don't know. I'm curious to see how things will change, but I don't think it's going to change for the worst. No, no. I think, like you said, Nintendo's got such a positive image and such a diehard fan base. There's, an, It's not going to go down easily. And they're on a high right now. So, you know, it's a good time for a change in leadership. Maybe some new ideas will be beneficial. We'll see what happens. I'm optimistic about it. Yeah, and I've uh, I've, I've told Judge this. I started I started investing in stock recently, and I was looking at I was trying to find Nintendo stock, and it kind of kills me because, like, I guess you can't really invest in it in in the states, like because it's I don't know. It kind of weirds me out because you can invest in Sony, which is also like a Japanese based company. But you can't invest in Nintendo unless you're like in Japan, I guess. Like unless you use yen. I could be wrong on that. I'm I'm still pretty new to this, but I, I can't I can't find anywhere that says like Nintendo's stock price like as a dollar amount. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I don't keep up with stock market very well. I it seems like it's pretty risky and pretty complicated. So. Yeah. I mean. Well, well, we'll see. This is my this is my get rich not quick scheme. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be very ex- successful then. Yeah, here's hoping. Yeah. Well, uh, that was our week in review, so I guess we can make this our segue into our main topic. So moving on into our main topic tonight, we are going to be talking about our five favorite boss experiences from video games. And we uh we we were kind of vague with the parameters, but I think we kind of arrived at the same point on this. We're basically shooting for boss experience, not necessarily the hardest bosses that we've ever faced, not necessarily um maybe not even our favorite boss fights, but just boss fights that had an impression on us, boss fights that we we had hyped up and the hype was every bit worth the the fight that we experienced and you know the aftermath of that fight you know those those are the kind of like basic criteria that we came up with for this well that i came up with that i assume that it sounds like judge is on the same page as me on that i am all right before we actually get started as always we need to make the typical disclaimer these are our personal opinions um we haven't played every single game so obviously some of these may seem out of left field and also it goes without saying, this is going to be a very spoiler-filled episode. So what I'm thinking about doing is, down in the show notes, I'm going to put the uh, series that we cover. I'm not going to put the actual bosses. I'm just going to put the series. And that way, you'll be able to look at them, and if you don't want them spoiled, then you can either skip past that section, or you can just maybe come back to this episode once you've finished the games. So I guess I'll kick off this uh, favorite boss fights. Um, it's it's not uh, so for the most part we're going to be going in order for like how we viewed these fights as impactful to us personally. 
Um, the only exception to this will be, since I'm starting off, will be this first one. Uh, pretty much just because I've already talked about him. I already hyped him up so much in the, was it the last episode? Episode 9, I think. Yeah. Red. The boss fight with Red and, and Silver, Gold, Crystal, Soul Silver, Heart Gold. That would honestly probably be up there as like number two or three on my list. Um, but for the purposes of this show, it's going to be number five, just so I don't like have to kind of rehash everything I've already said about it. But, you know, kind of going back to what I've already said about it, this, this character that's been hyped up to you throughout the entire game that you play, this character that you've probably already played as in a previous game, you, you have the knowledge that he's like single-handedly destroyed Team Rocket. Whenever you finally face him, he's like literally at the height of the game like literally at the summit of fucking mount silver he's got like all the best like pretty much all the best pokemon of generation one um like he had snorlax charizard venusaur blastoise i think i mean i say all the best but lapras i think and then like a freaking level 80 or 90 something pikachu like those are that's about as strong. That's literally as strong as any trainer gets, like as any AI gets in any Pokemon game, as far as, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, you're right. I'm pretty sure that's as high as they get. And just like the fact that, the fact that there's been this mythology developed around Red, like as the very first Pokemon trainer, you know, we've we've established that Red and Ash are completely different characters, but they're still connected, whether we like it or not. And that connection just serves to amplify the uh, the experience, even for people that hadn't played red, or blue, or yellow. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we, yeah, we talked about red extensively in our silent protagonist episode. He's just, that's a great boss fight. It's just executed wonderfully. I mean, we touched on how awesome of a buildup it was to be able to go up uh, Mount Silver and just be able to get to the top and go against him. It's just freaking awesome. It was a great lead-up. Had some awesome music to go along with it whenever you were going against him. Super strong Pokemon. A++ boss battle. Oh, definitely. And, like, the best part about it was that, like, you weren't entirely sure that you would ever get to see, that you would ever get to meet him, see him, face him. Like, you, you finally visit Pallet Town at some point, and you get, you get to meet his fucking mom. But you still don't see him there. And when you finally go up against Blue as, you know, the new age Giovanni of Kanto, you know, you, you get a slight sliver of hope like, all right, well, Blue's here. Now, where the fuck is Red? And then you go back to the Elite Four, still hoping that, you know, maybe he's the new champion. Maybe he overthrew your rival or Professor, uh, not Professor Oak, uh, or Lance or somebody. But no, he you have to you have to go a completely different route and ultimately take him on at at a at a mountain that has your namesake <laughs> it's pretty great love it what would your number five be though okay so <laughs> i i mentioned to you that there are probably going to be some in this list that are going to be pro- maybe even laughable to you i'm not so sure um my number five is one that you're definitely not going to see coming so for my number five favorite boss i have lou the devil 
from the Guitar Hero series. Yeah, I know, I know. So, okay, Guitar Hero 3, Legends of Rock. You gotta put, I gotta give some context to this. I was huge into Guitar Hero, like absolutely huge into it. And all my friends were super competitive in it too. So, back in school, whenever we were in like late middle school, uh, early high school, actually really throughout high school, we are always competing to see who could get the highest scores in Guitar Hero and who could play on Expert. Because if you could play on Expert, you were just like, whoa, you're super good. So I remember playing on Expert um, and beating the game, going through all of the set list options for the first time. And whenever you get to the end, they always have like an encore performance at the end of each like set. And a set's like five songs. You get to the last section of the set list and it's titled battle for your soul. Like all the other ones have been like live in Japan and uh, you know, stuff like the hottest band on earth, stuff like that. And then finally get to the last section. It's like battle for your soul. Things just ramp up. They go from zero to a hundred real quick. And you're fighting, you're playing through songs like raining blood by Slayer and number of the beast by Iron Maiden, all of these guitar shredding songs. And I struggled through those on expert mode. And whenever I beat all of them, you go through the boss or yeah, it's the boss. And it's like the encore is literally a remake of the song. The devil went down to Georgia, but it's like a guitar, heavy metal rock version of it. And you're fighting against him and you have to like outcompete him. And it was so hard. Oh my God. That track was so difficult. And if you were able to beat him, it would cut off and say now finish him like straight up Mortal Kombat style and it would cut off and you would have to play like an your own version of that song to finish him off like you would shred your way to the end and it would just you'd defeat him and whenever I was a kid I thought that was so epic like I loved it so much so if I didn't put that on my list somewhere that it just wouldn't make sense just because that was a defining moment for me I would I became a guitar hero god which quickly didn't mean anything after Guitar Hero died out. So, yeah, I think they had a they had a South Park episode where uh, Stan and Kyle were trying to get to like a million points or something like, that, or was it a million, a billion, something like that? They're trying to they're trying to achieve this like they're trying to break a record for a score that had never been broken or something like that. And they were like, everybody's like, what happens when you get to a million points? And like by the end of the episode, they finally hit a million points. Like after learning a valuable life lesson, blah blah blah. And they're like, congratulations, you've reached a million points. You are now officially fags. <laughs> like, I never I never really got into Guitar Hero or Rock Band. Like, I could see the appeal of it. But I just thought that was really funny and probably about how shafted most people that played the game felt when it died out. I mean, it, and it died out hard, too. But that was because they were pumping out so many of those games and, you know, rock band came out too so there were a lot of competitors that were cropping up and they're really really fun games i mean you could just get your family together or your friends together in a college dorm room and just sit down and you guys could feel like rock stars but you're playing cheap plastic instruments with like five buttons on them or you're like banging on drums that really actually the drums were fairly accurate i'm not even gonna like complain about those like it that was kind of how i got into actually drumming but that's just a bonus fact um, anyway, that was my number five. All right, cool. So I guess I'll move on to my number four. Um, and for this one, I think I'm going to give it to 
think I'm going to give this one to uh, Lucifer from Devil Survivor. Ooh, all right. So I know you've you've played Devil Survivor. Did you ever beat it? No, 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 I didn't. No. So Devil Survivor was my gateway into the Shin Megami Tensei series and by proxy the Persona series. Um, Devil Survivor is kind of like Persona in that it's like a like a sub series of Shin Megami Tensei. And so this was the first one I had ever played, which was back in like 2009, I want to say. And when you beat the game, um, you know, you can play through it multiple times to get like everybody's ending. And I think I did that. Like, I think I got everybody's ending on that. And it wasn't until like, like I didn't do this like immediately after I beat the game the first time I, I did this like closer to like, I think like the very last ending is I faced off against this bonus boss, like this, this secret boss that like you have to trigger a very specific dialogue option to even make him appear as a potential fight. And like all it shows is like it appears on the map as the as Morning Star. Like that that's the name of the map, I think. And when you get there, fucking Lucifer pops up. And like this was my first experience seeing, you know, Lucifer, Satan, Beelzebub. Well, I guess Beelzebub was an earlier character in the game. But it was my, it was my first experience with the devil in a Shin Megami Tensei game. And not not that the devil or not that Lucifer isn't good in other games too, but this was a freaking insane boss fight. Like, I mean, you've played it, you know, you know, Devil Survivor and Devil Survivor Two. Like, they're they're turn-based like strategy RPGs. Um, it's like it's like playing a board game almost. And so, like, you know, he's there, and his range covers like damn near the entire map. Like, I think like the very outer borders are where you're safe. But then, like, the longer the fight drags on, the more demons pop up. And that aside, he alone, like, he's got three fucking transformations, and each transformation, he heals himself completely. And it was insane. Like, I used a very fucking cheap method to take him down, and that cheap method still took me damn near, like, at least 40 minutes. Man. Like, it might have been impossible if I hadn't been using that cheap method. Because it basically... he. If he gets to go, like if he gets a turn, he will he will use an attack that damages like all of your characters and will probably wipe out most of your characters. So I started using this tactic where it was like reflecting attacks and then like but also ensuring that the main character like in the party gets killed off while the demons live. So like whenever whenever it's the next character's turn, all they got to do is revive the former character and then that character automatically gets moved up to being like the next character to attack. And, like, I basically just put that in, like, an endless loop until I finally took him down because I didn't give him the chance to attack or, and, and decimate my forces or the other demons to move forward and attack me. I just made sure that I was constantly on the on the offensive by, you know, constantly resurrecting and shit. But holy God, it took forever. And, like I said, it was... The, the, the fucking payoff for that, though, was being able to fuse this fucking monster being able to fuse level 99 lucifer um which again being that it was my first experience with the shimigami tensei series game that was it was so powerful it was such a satisfying payoff and they're, they're like it even alluded it even alluded to lucifer earlier because like they're, they're it's they call it the the battle of the 
the Bells, I guess, B-E-L-S, because um, we had, like, you know, Beelzebub and Baal and, uh, you know, ultimately Babel, the Tower of Babel. Um, so Lucifer wasn't exactly involved in this contest, but he had a stake in it because one of his servants was, you know, one of the front runners in this contest. And so, you know, to see him like manipulating the scenes and ultimately just like make a random appearance, like I'm your true father and I'm bored, fight me. You're like, Jesus Christ. It was, it was rough, but it was so, it was so satisfying to beat him. Yeah. And see, I had almost forgotten how infuriatingly difficult those games are even the final boss of uh devil survivor 2 is just i still haven't beat it to this day because it just took forever i mean like an hour every attempt and it was just ridiculous so although i didn't get to try going against lucifer in the first devil survivor game i completely believe you when you say how difficult it was so yeah, and I like I had um I had beaten Polaris from Devil Survivor 2. I had beaten Polaris in the original version of the game, but I haven't beaten him in the remake yet. Um and I can so I'm I'm right th- I'm right there with you on the remake cuz I I've been getting my ass kicked like every time I've tried to go against him and I'm like I just don't have the energy to waste a full hour only to not make any progress with this. But I, yeah, it is pretty similar to Polaris actually, in that there's like multiple stages to the fight, and you can very easily get your ass kicked. Well, that's a that's a pretty good entry at number four. I'm not, I can't say I've really been shocked by that, but or am shocked by that, but yeah, pretty good. So with that being said, I guess I will talk about my number four, and this probably won't come to a shock as you eat or to you either. My number four is Zimnus from Kingdom Hearts 2. And yeah, and I could have easily put so many bosses from Kingdom Hearts 2 on here because there were some really good ones. But I was going more for impact and like how it left me feeling emotionally. And Kingdom Hearts 2 took up such a huge part of my childhood. I mean, I dumped so much time into that game. Uh, it was one of the first games. As a matter of fact, it was the first game that I 100%ed ever in my entire life uh, because I loved it so much. But Zimnus is the final boss, quote unquote, final boss of the game. And uh, basically, to keep this relatively short, you have this epic buildup to where you're basically going into Kingdom Hearts to defeat this boss. And. It's a multi-stage boss battle. Some of them are you're like on a ship fighting. Some of them you're on the ground fighting. You know, you and your friend Riku are both tag teaming this, and there's like split. You guys are split fighting side by side without Donald and Goofy on some of them. Sometimes Donald and Goofy is with you, but it all culminates into this huge epic final boss fight where it's just you and Riku. You're in this big wide expanse. And you're having to go against Zemnis, and it's just so cinematic, so theatrical. It has one of the most definitive, like, scenes in any game to me. When I was growing up, I thought this was just the coolest thing. There's a sequence where Zemnis basically summons like a thousand laser beams, right? And he suspends them in a half circle around you and Riku, and it's so simple. Like, it's not even 
it's not even like difficult to do. And a lot of people would probably criticize it for being easy, but I thought it was so cool when I first saw it. You just have to hit X and triangle. Triangle makes Riku attack and X makes you attack. And you guys are just like spinning around deflecting a thousand lasers. And you have to do that segment for like two minutes straight. And it's like the camera's panning around you guys and you're like doing flips over each other. You're reflecting all of these lasers. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever whenever I was younger. Um, and when I went back to play the remixed edition, whenever it came out um, a couple years back, I still loved it. I mean, I realized it was way more simplistic, but I still loved it. And, you know, ultimately you beat it and it leads to this really touching ending. But Xemnas is battle, like multi-stage battle, really intense, really awesome. Loved it. It had to go on this list. And it was kind of difficult for me to put it at number four, but my top three are, they're great. Like, to me, they, they just can't be beaten. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that Kingdom Hearts made the list for you, but that's yeah, right there. That's fair. So, my number three... Oh, man. My number three is kind of... It kind of pains me to put it at number three and not higher, but it, it probably won't surprise you too much. I'm going to go with Akechi from Persona 5. <laughs> yeah. Um... And the reason, the main reason that it's going at number three and not higher, is is because, well, a he wasn't he wasn't the final boss, and I felt like he should have been, like I wasn't, you know, Shido and uh, and I can never pronounce the name right, Yalda Boweth or whatever. Yalda Boweth. Yalda Boweth. However you, you pronounce know, it. it's not that they weren't good characters, not that they weren't good fights, but you know. It should have come down to a catchy versus the main protagonist is how I always felt. Um, and he had, you know, he had, he had these great moments, but then for him to get fucked up by Shido's mind afterward, it was just like, ah, come on, man. Um, that said, though, like, you know, the fucking plot twist where you have to, you know, depending on how you play the game, you either cheat death or you literally die there. Um, and then, you know, you find out that a catchy's been the one that's been, that that's betrayed you that's been like causing psychotic breakdowns um you know all that shit and you know m most of us had probably guessed it by that point but still still gonna say that it was not necessarily a plot twist but that the way that they first show it like whenever he smirks about it whenever he's whenever he points the gun at you whenever he just like loses his shit he makes such a good antagonist and then, like, whenever he just goes full ape shit on you, like, whenever whenever he starts screaming, like, I will, you know, blah, 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 and then he goes, Persona! It's such yeah. a, it's such an epic fight, um, and it's such an epic scene. Like, I, I'm excited to see what that looks like in the animation, to be honest. But just in the video game, that it, it was just a great moment, and it, it definitely made an impression on me. Oh yeah, dude. Akechi was Akechi was awesome. Uh Pancake Boy is my favorite. He's just he's great. Well, what was what was that? I I thought I heard something about delicious pancakes. <laughs> the vo you know what? I'm glad you touched on the way the subtle changes like the escalation like that smirk. You know, Akechi looked like an innocent like character and then the first time they pulled that portrait change it was just like good lord he looks freaking evil and then his voice actor went hard on that battle like i will always remember just like you said he goes like persona 
God, like he just sounds so angry. Like it, they per, voice actor did such a good job on that. And that was a great fight. I agree with you. It should have culminated into a fight with him. He, he literally sounds psychotic, like, which is what they're going for. Like he, he's just completely lost all traces of sanity by that point. And that's, that's one of the things like, like after the fight, after he's been beaten and you know, you hear his voice then, it's interesting that he's, you know, before this point, he's had this kind of soft voice where he's just like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you said something about delicious pancakes. And then, Persona, you're going to die. I've always hated you. And then, like, after this shit, he's just kind of down to, like, he sounds like a normal fucking human being. Like, even after the fact, he's just like, go do with me what you will. Just kill me now. I have nothing to live for. Like, he sounds normal finally. And just just the fact that the voice actor is able to convey that he's gone from being this innocent fuckboy to this completely psychotic fuckboy to a normal fucking human being that's finally been recognized for who he is, it, it's I don't know it's it's invigorating honestly. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you put a catchy on there. I was gonna put a catchy on mine, but I can, I can guess why you didn't. <laughs> I bet you can. Um, yeah, a <laughs> little bit of a, an illusion <laughs> there. Uh, so for my number three, and I'm not sure how you're going to feel about this. It's probably not going to shock you, but you might have expected me to pick someone else from this series. Uh, I picked Nurgle from Fire Emblem. <laughs> yeah. Laugh. I know it's a funny name, but okay. Like the thing is. This is from this is the first Fire Emblem game that I'd ever played, and I'm talking about the first Fire Emblem that got localized to the United States. It's known as Blazing Sword. Uh, it's Fire Emblem Seven, technically, on the Game Boy Advance. It has like um, Elliewood, Hector, and Lindis, I believe, is her name. Those are the three main characters. But God, to me, it just had the out of all the Fire Emblems, I think it had the best story. Uh, you had three protagonists, three lords. Uh, and you played through their storylines. First, you played through Lindis's, then you played through Hector's, and finally, you played through Elliewood's. And they came together, and you had three lords on one team fighting side by side. And you could level them up and have like these. I mean, you could have maxed out lords or whatever. And Nurgle is the final boss that you have to go against, and he's like this really nefarious, imposing character. Um, just really the, to me, the reason why I put this on here was more because of how it made me feel as a kid. It made me feel like I was a master tactician. I had struggled so hard with these games because they were difficult. Um, you had to actually, it's like an intense game of chess where you have to move your units and if they die, they die. They're dead forever. Like you can't take them back unless you start all the way over again. You're, you're screwed. So I cared about all the characters in that game. They did such a good job with their character designs. They had really interesting support conversations. Um, but anyway, the long and the short of it is he pulls this crap where during the final battle, you have to fight against every single previous boss that you fought through the entire game. They're all smashed in the same map. The only thing that's keeping them from just pummeling you outright is that they're put in different rooms so it may not be like every boss but it's like most of them it's like all the major bosses and they're like 
cornered off into rooms. So you have to be every single boss and they're way more leveled up and they've got guards with them. So you have to beat all of those. You don't get a break. After you beat all of those, you have to go and defeat Nurgle. And by that time, you're probably fatigued. Your characters are probably like really low health unless you brought a ton of staves and you have a lot of healing capability. But it's just, it's such an epic lead up to it. And I felt like whenever it was difficult, whenever I beat that as a kid, I felt, that was one of the times in my life where I felt legitimately like the smartest person ever from beating a game. Because that was hard to do. That was a a commendable feat to me. And I bragged about it to people at school. They didn't even know what Fire Emblem was, but I was just like, yeah, yeah, look at this crap. I'm going to show you what I did. And it was, it was awesome. Like, I loved it. It was a really intense final fight. And if you prepared for it correctly, and after the game ends, you know, you get, like, specialized epilogues for all the characters that you kept alive throughout the game. If they died, it would freaking make you feel terrible about it because it would be like, they died. This is where they died. This is the chapter that they died. This is how you screwed up. Like, so it was an incentive. You felt like you overcame, like, a really momentous uh, adversity and it just made me feel awesome like it was a special experience that i've felt very seldomly uh since then yeah i i, I kind of considered throwing in something from fire emblem just because that the whole series is fucking hard as hell um but i don't know to be honest like for me awakening is the only is the only one that i've actually like fully played through and uh I don't know, Val- Valadar or whatever his name is. He he wasn't much like he wasn't super memorable as far as as far as boss fights or characters go. And like you know, the gameplay itself was difficult as shit. But like the bosses themselves were like probably less noticeable for for Awakening at least than than for what from what you played. Yeah, it's the, for the original Fire Emblem game. The ones on the Game Boy Advance were super difficult because in the newer ones, they let you have DLC that let you grind. You could just go through and like get your character's levels up and make money. But you couldn't do that in the original games. You had to just do that during the story. So you had to really pick who you put the, who you relegated the experience points to carefully. Um, a lot of people, whenever it came out, didn't think the lords were worth anything. They thought they were really weak and squishy. But if you put your experience into them, they leveled up into some beast characters. Like, oh my god. And it had some of the best animations I've ever seen in a... I think it's probably the best animated Game Boy Advance game ever. Period. Like, go look up some of those freaking animations for whenever they get a crit. It's amazing. Oh, I'll have to check it out sometime. Alright, what are we on? Number two? Yep. Alright, so... <laughs> The I think my number two and, and even my number one are going to come as shockers for you. Ooh. Um, partially because neither of them are Final Fantasy related at all. That is indeed a shock. Yeah, I mean, I had to I had to struggle with that because, you know, there's some great Final Fantasy boss fights, but none of them, probably none of them made me feel quite as uh, as blown away as, um, as, as my number two and number one. So I'm going to kind of leave it at that for now. Uh, but I'm going to give number two. Ooh, this is hard for me. I'm going to give it to Virgil from Devil May Cry. I somehow knew you were going to put Virgil on here. Did you? I really did. I had a feeling that you were going to put him on here. I don't know why. Interesting. I, like, I never talk about Devil May Cry, but 
you know, truthfully, like, so did you ever play uh, Devil May Cry 3, uh, Dante's Awakening? I didn't, so I know nothing about... I, I had seen some other people and heard people talk about Virgil whenever I was growing up in the Devil May Cry series and talking about this boss battle, so... Yeah, so, you know, the way that the game starts off is you're, you you see a fucking cinematic, and this is, you know, even for PlayStation 2, this was a fucking glorious-looking cinematic. It's just Dante and Virgil fighting each other in the rain, and, like, at first it's, like, in slow motion... And then you suddenly see it like really quickly, like their blades are just colliding and like it, it, it's like blinking is how fast they're going. Um, and then like at the very end of the cinematic, Virgil runs his sword through Dante, like he disarms him and then impales him. And, you know, Dante falls to the ground and like Virgil starts to walk away and then Dante's finger twitches and then Virgil runs back and impales him again. <laughs> this is this is the fucking opening to Devil May Cry 3. Now. There's you you fight Virgil three times in that game alone. The first time is you know right before the uh, that that particular cinematic, like right before you get impaled. So there's still a lot of shit to go before you have to worry about Dante whether he's gonna live or die. Um, and Virgil kicks your ass obviously because he's impaled you several times and taken something important from you. The second time you fight him he's not quite as overpowered but he still he still seems to have gotten the better of you and then a character who's supposed to be like the fucking like Virgil's sidekick just comes along and steals the show like his name's Arkham and it turns out he's been using fucking everybody to for his own nefarious purpose and he just completely you know takes over Virgil's plan for himself so because Dante and Virgil have been fighting they're they're both weakened and can't really do anything to retaliate, so they end up ultimately fighting against Arkham and together they defeat him. But even after they've you know oh I should probably specify Dante and Virgil are twins by the way, they're twins. One's obsessed with power, one's not. So Virgil wanting power, you know, try to devise this plan with Arkham to steal something from Dante to gain power, and that backfired because Arkham was using him. So when they finally beat Arkham together, they <laughs> Virgil hasn't forgotten about his his quest for power. Like you, you kind of would have hoped. Like, all right, we did a sibling activity together. Let's let's call a truce. No, Virgil still wants the power. So the final boss fight after you take over a kind of fucked up, powered up Arkham is Virgil. <laughs> Virgil's oh, Virgil's the final boss fight of Devil May Cry, and like you know, he's been. Like, you know, it turns out that Arkham had been, like, kind of silently running the show from behind him, but Virgil's still really the mastermind of the project and your fucking twin brother. And the uh, the name of the sh- of the series, Devil May Cry, actually comes from how Dante feels after he defeats Virgil and Virgil, you know, seems lost to the demon world or whatever. Um, you know, character's like, are you crying? And he's like, no, devils don't cry. And... The, the character's like, oh, well, I think somewhere out there, if they were to lose a loved one, even a devil may cry. And, like, that's where the series title comes from. That's where Dante named his his business from, is from that one, you know, moment. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So it was, it was a very awesome boss fight with a very awesome character. And, you know, Virgil's, like, a fan favorite. Like, he, he comes off as the more silent competent version of dante and i love dante so i'm not i'm not shitting on him but you know 
Dante Dante is considered like one of the quote unquote coolest characters because he he he's a tryhard. Um, Virgil's not a tryhard, but he's still pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, like I said, I figured that you would put Devil May Cry on here just because you don't talk about it much, but I know that you do have a love for the series. And uh, like I said, I did hear people talk about that fight whenever I was growing up. So, yeah, it, it's probably it's kind of similar to uh, to the old school God of War in like the sense that like it wasn't especially deep, but the fighting was so much fun. Like I like I think I've said if the trophy system existed back during the PS2 era, I would have I would have platinumed Devil May Cry because like I've looked at all the trophies for it and. Every everything that that Devil May Cry three required, I I had done on the PS two, so that that's how much time and effort I put into that game, and I will probably play it again at some point, like once I actually get the once I get the HD remake. I was gonna say I'm sure you're gonna revisit that game soon, which yeah, I did I did buy uh, Devil May Cry four though whenever they had the uh, for Golden Week, um, because it dropped down like. It was like $9 for like the special edition bundle, which included Virgil as a character. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Once I, once I actually get around to playing it. Yeah. I bet we'll end up hearing about that more on the show, but we're kind of running a little bit long here. So I know that we get super excited about all this stuff. Oh, fuck yeah. Number two, this is going to be rough because these next two are, I'm, I'm going to have to really cut down on. My number two, and this was so difficult for me to do, you you have no idea how difficult it was for me to distinguish these from each other. I had to put number two uh, as Liquid Snake from Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots. And this game, oh my god. I, this game, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say this game changed my life. I know that people joke about Oh, it's not a game, it's a movie. They've got like 20 something hours of cutscenes in this game, blah blah blah. I don't I don't agree with that cuz it was such a dynamic experience. The gameplay was so fun and I loved it. I mean, it made me way more connected to the characters. Definitely an example of how video games can hit me harder than any other uh entertainment medium. But anyway, the lead up on this was ridiculous. Um Liquid Snake is technically uh, Solid Snake's brother. I'm oversimplifying Metal Gear's time or uh, story quite a bit because it's very convoluted and confusing. But essentially, um, there's this government system called the Patriots that's in place, and Liquid is the head of it, and uh, Solid Snake, everyone knew him from all the previous Metal Gear games, he was younger in the previous Metal Gear games. In this game, he's really old. Like, he's so old that he has difficulty moving, so he has to have, wear a suit that makes it so helps stimulate his muscles to make it so he can move. So there's this theme of, you know, getting old and, like, redemption and uh, what it's like or what it means to be a hero. And, you know, people refer to him as a legendary hero, and he'll be like, I'm not a hero. You know, he in his gravelly, rough voice that everyone loves. But, uh, you know, he, you work through the game and you get to liquid and it's like this freaking love letter. This was meant to be the last game in the metal gear series, but it didn't end up being, but Hideo Kojima wrote it like it was going to be the last game in the metal gear series. And 
the final boss battle, you know, this is a gun about being, or a gun. This is a game about being like stealthy and like tactical espionage and there are guns and, you know, gun fights. In the final battle, you know, you're, solid snake is like crawling through a reactor like he's dying he and i'm not even giving context for this but he's having to crawl to the to the end of a reactor to try to prevent something from happening but the thermal heat's too much and he passes out he wakes up on top of a freaking huge tower and liquid is there on top of a tower and your final boss fight is a freaking fist fight between brothers and it's like the most epic fist fight ever because it's got music playing from all the past Metal Gear games. It's like having all these callbacks and uh you can just feel the age between these these two siblings. They're fighting each other and every hit feels so impactful. I, my description's not doing justice. You would have to play the game to figure this out, but oh my god, when I finished the game, I was just like Metal Gear is life. I I should have I should have believed it before, but Metal Gear is a freaking phenomenal series. Everyone should play it, even though Konami killed it. We don't want to talk about that, but I had to. It was difficult for me to put this at two, so that should just that should just go to show how awesome number one has to be for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna take a few guesses as to what. Well, I don't need. I I I I, I just I, I just need one guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you do your number two first. I did my number, number two. Your number on. one. I mean. Yeah. Um, I actually think my number one might surprise you. Oh? Maybe. We'll see. So, my number one, I gave it to David from The Last of Us. <laughs> you know, okay. Mixed feelings here. I'm not surprised, and I kind of felt like it was going to be on your list, but explain why. All right, so it took a while before I actually got to the point where I appreciated just how fucking powerful it was to have to go up against him. Because bearing in mind, like, The Last of Us is a game that had very few boss fights. Like, I don't know, maybe you could consider, um, maybe you could consider, like, a bloater as a boss fight. But for the most part, you're just fighting, like, fucking hordes and you're going up against humans, too. David is like the one and only fight in the entire game that you feel truly vulnerable against another individual. Like, and especially like, you know, you you can play Last of Us in several different modes and grounded mode is a very different experience from, you know, normal or hard mode. So like normal hard mode, you know, the good strategy would be to like throw a bottle at him and then knife him. Um, grounded mode, you can't, you, you don't have any bottles to throw. So you kind of, you kind of shit out of luck there. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's everything about his character leading up to that moment that makes it such a, such a powerful experience for me. Like he, whenever you first meet him, he comes off initially as like one of the only decent characters in the game. Like he comes off as an actual legitimately nice character who's trying to protect Ellie. And then Obviously, we see he's a fucking pedophile cannibal. He's, you know, that's a very different image. And, like, so he's, you know, trying to, he's trying to go after Ellie. He's trying to, you know, he's probably going to eat her afterward. And I don't know, like, the fact the fact that, you know, she ends up biting him. He's, he's 
presumably like borderline infected, if not already infected, because he seems like he's going crazy. He starts scurrying around whenever you injure him a few times. He starts like he just abandons his gun in exchange for like a fucking machete because he's he's that sadistic at that point. Um, and then even after you beat him, he still tries to rape Ellie. And it's only like she has to fucking forego her humanity to kill him. I don't know. It was such a powerful boss fight. And it's like, you know, he's he's definitely not the most powerful character of any game I've ever played. Like, he's probably one of the weakest, truthfully, as far as, like, physical abilities go. But because you're in the body of a child, you don't have any weapons on you. You're you're trapped in a burning building, and he's scurrying around trying to, trying to you know, get the jump on you. And a lot of times he does. I don't know. It was a very powerful fight. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. I'm... The implications surrounding it are what makes it powerful, and you touched on them all beautifully. So I'm not, I don't have much to add to that. I, like I said, wasn't too surprised that you were going to put that on there because I know that you've grown to really appreciate the subtlety and the deeper meaning between, uh, behind The Last of Us. So yeah, that's a great number one pick. Honestly, it really is. I had to struggle to put, I was going to put David on there on mine too, but just didn't happen and you seem to think that you know what my number one is going to be rather you know what my number one's going to be from i mean i hope i know what your number one is you can confirm it once i say it my my number one is kind of it was kind of hard for me to narrow it down to like one specific boss from this but i narrowed it down to izanami from persona 4 Really? <laughs> yeah. All right. Explain. You're shocked? I th- I thought it for sure it was going to be Adachi. That's because, yeah, you don't know what happens. <laughs> I mean, I know I know what happened from the uh, from the anime. I was going to put Adachi, and that's why I was saying I had a difficult time with the name here. So, Persona Four is a tease. This game is a freaking tease because. You can't get the true ending unless you really do have true detective skills. You're spending the entire game essentially looking for this, like there's these mysteries happening around this town and you're spending the entire game trying to figure out the culprit. Um, It's like people, someone's throwing people into TVs and they're getting killed. It starts out as a rumor about it being like about, you know, like if you look at, watch the midnight channel then you'll see your lover or your soulmate. And then it turns into like, well, it's actually someone throwing people into the TV and killing them because they, there's a whole lot of events that happen around that. But essentially there are so so many false endings that you can get in this game. You can think one guy's the killer and he's not the killer. You have to have the deductive reasoning skills to think, wait a minute, no, something's not right here. Then they pull this bait and switch like two or three times to the point where, like you said, a dachi, you finally get to a dachi and you're like, Cabbage Boy, this dude is definitely the killer. Like, we know without a doubt he's the killer. But after you take care of that crap, there's a freaking part where you're meeting up with your friends. You can end the game there. It can be like, yeah, uh, it's time to go home. I'm ending my vacation here or whatever. I'm going home. Well, there's a part where you can just be like, there's something else I need to do. You can select that. Then you can select another one, a response that lets you go back to like your base where you've been meeting with your friends to try to solve this case. And there's a freaking 
thing where you go through this series of events where you basically can figure out like, wait a minute, this is, there's something not right here. You freaking figure out that the true killer was like just a freaking gas station attendant. Like it wasn't a Dachi. A Dachi was being manipulated by someone and the gas station attendant turned out to be a freaking God that was in disguise confer like gave you the ability to have a persona um so like and gave adachi the ability to have a persona so you freaking end up like if you have the reasoning skills without a guide i i can't imagine how anyone did this without a guide you would have to go in and have a whole nother dungeon that you'd have to go through and you would have to fight izanami which is a god it was a freaking ridiculously hard battle had amazing music two phases first phase had like one of the best songs in the series fog playing with it and it got you super hyped up then you get to a point where it's like oh you know she appears to be impervious to my attacks and you think oh crap i'm screwed you aren't there's like this power of friendship moment where like essentially eventually you uh everyone goes down everyone sacrifices their life for you and you're just laying on the ground and all of the social links that you cultivate throughout the game like if you spent the time to foster those social links, everyone that you worked on those social links with will come up in front of you. Like their spirit will come up in front of you and they'll like give you an encouraging, like you helped me solve my prior crisis. I know you can do this. I'm supporting you. And it'll go through all of the social links if you did them and it'll make you feel like just touched. And eventually it'll be like, you feel this renewed spirit and you like stand up and you get the ability to summon the freaking the world arcana like you are able to summon your own version of a god izanagi no okami and it becomes a freaking battle between gods and you are able to beat it it's just freaking ridiculous like i had to put it had to be my number one it had to be like there was nothing else persona 4 is my favorite game ever so and it's for this reason fantastic i feel honestly like I almost had a moment where like God of War made the list for the like the Hydra fight because that was such a good boss fight like leading into the game. Um, also, kind of like you know, I also wanted to include like Seymour Guado from Final Fantasy X because that's like one of the notoriously difficult fights. But uh, I don't know, man. It, th- th- this is probably something that's going to change drastically as well. Like once I play more games and play deeper into other games, but. Yeah, pretty pretty good list too. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Well after this will be another thing that we need to revisit in the future because like you said, there's always new games coming out, there are always innovative experiences on this, so we'll see. There's always see there's always playing games that you've never played before that have been out for fucking years and you're not going to know just how that just how strongly they shape you until you played them. That one. Yes, correct. Yes. We ran this episode long, so we better hurry up and get to our ending. Well, all right, let's let's go with our name of shame and phrase of praise. Name of shame and phrase of praise. We've made it. <laughs> Sorry if that felt like we barreled through that. We these lists we we tend to get really passionate about. Them. God, can you believe we wanted to do like a top ten list? I told you, I was skeptical of that. Jesus. <laughs> um, so name of shame for this week doesn't have context like the last week. We were playing Dead by Daylight. We came across this, and we both chuckled at it pretty hard um the name of shame for this week is the incredible wiggle gasp i don't don't think it was a the i think it was just incredible wiggle right 
It was the Incredible Wiggle, but I'd like to put the in front of it. It is just Incredible Wiggle, no spaces, spelled just like you'd expect it. And I think it was the ki- it was the killer, wasn't it? Was it? Maybe it remember. wasn't. We just saw the name and cracked up. We were just like, "That's amazing." You la- you you got a lot of enjoyment out of it. No, I think it was it was an ally because I think Incredible Wiggle was one of the first to go down. Oh, such a shame got an awesome name so that's all that matters congratulations congratulations we love you incredible wiggle you've made our name of shame that's probably the highest achievement you've got so far because <laughs> you didn't survive that match so no siree oh man and uh our fraser praise for this week you know I want to give context for this, but I'm just going to let it hang out for a bit in the air and see if you can grab it. The phrase of praise is, remember, friends with benefits get listeners. Isn't that right, Crow? I don't know. You tell me, Judge. Huh. Ominous silence. tee So yeah, we may explain that at a later date, but you can probably make some assumptions. And they're all going to be wrong. Probably. They're probably all going to be wrong. But. Yeah. All right. That's the show. That's the show. So as always, going to give this little spill and see if I can do it right this week. You can. We would love to hear from you. Uh, you can either do that through Twitter at our Twitter handle, which is at Real Hodge, Or you can reach out to us via our lovely, beautiful email that needs some loving. So please email us at contact at real pod shot shoot <laughs> okay contact at podhodge.net i swear i'm gonna get that right eventually one day you need to have like a flashcard in front of you when you do this <laughs> i need to have a teleprompter for this crap hire him just for that that's it just the ending he'll make a fraction of what we're making right now oh god I can pay you in jalapeno poppers. If you I don't, don't have jalapenos those. or poppers. Oh, well, I guess I need your help. So if you want to be a teleprompter, reach out to us at one of those sources <laughs> and tell us. We'll throw you in the show. We'll give you a we'll we'll give you a nice shout out every episode. The next the next name of shame will be somebody's literal name. Yes, and it won't be a name of shame. It'll be someone an upstanding individual. So, thanks for tuning into the show. We will see you next week.